Hi there, my name is Victoria Bowler, and today I am thrilled to be sharing this conversation that I got to have with my friend Matthew Stensrud. Matthew is an extremely accomplished music teacher and music teacher educator. I'll add his bio to the description if you are watching on YouTube, and I'll also add it to um, the show notes if you are listening to this on your podcast player. For the purposes of our conversation, though, I wanted to talk to Matthew because he wears the hats of both Responsive Classroom and the Orff Schulwerk. He was on the team of contributors to the resource that I'm sure many of us already have, which is Responsive Classroom for Music, Art, PE, and other special areas. Matthew could teach us so much about so many different um, topics in music education, but I wanted to focus our conversation on the first weeks of school and how we can start classes off so that they are musical and active and creative, but still orderly and functional. So I think you are going to really enjoy my conversation with Matthew Stensrud. Matthew, I am so excited to talk to you today. You are an Orff Schulwerk Responsive Classroom extraordinaire, and so um, you are the go-to person in my mind when I think of, uh, or at least one of the go-to people in my mind when I think of like, how do we want to start the year? How do we want to make it play-based, but make sure that everything is flowing in the right direction and that we're setting ourselves up, um, you know, for success later on. So can you start us off by maybe sharing a bit about the Responsive Classroom approach? approach and um, maybe your your take on it as an ORF teacher. I know that's broad, but but I've, I feel like that's a good place to start. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you for the kind words, Victoria. Um, I first was introduced to Responsive Classroom at my first school I taught at, uh, just a few years into teaching. And it, much like taking your ORF schoolwork levels, it transformed my approach to how I interact with my students, the kind of language I use, mm -hmm. um, process of teaching, and how I respond to student behaviors. And Responsive Classroom really takes the fact that our students want to learn, they love to learn, mm -hmm. and we should treat them as such, instead of treating like school as this like thing you have to slog through. And that's very similar to how we teach music in the classroom, is that music is this great place to explore and learn and, and have such rich experiences. And I think the second point of responsive classroom is the power of the social learning. So if I give the one elevator pitch that I always do, it's that responsive classroom finds that how our students learn is just as important. And I think more important mm -hmm. than what they're learning. Yeah. So the interactions they get with each other, the kinds of ways that you use to introduce ideas and let students create is more powerful than like, the content of did you get to 16th notes did you work on syncopation did they be able to sing in harmony all those kinds of things that we see in our curriculum yep. is is not what we should go to immediately as teachers instead we should go to did our students create something did they have a uh, a meaningful experience interacting with music and with one another mm -hmm. and that's why i really connected with responsive classroom when i when i first started learning about it 
Yeah, there's so much connection between that and then what we hope, what we strive for, at least in our teaching as music teachers. So you talked about some of the big pillars of responsive classroom have to do with student behaviors and how we approach that. And it's kind of like the most generous interpretation of a student's off-task behavior. Um, <laughs> and I think that's that's really important because that changes the way that we ourselves go throughout our days, right? Like looking for um, like a best case, kind of a, again, like the most generous interpretation as opposed to all these kids are bouncing off the walls. They're trying to make my life difficult, right? Like it changes the way we approach the classroom. And then the second thing you said is that the social learning is the most important piece far beyond anything that we can memorize by rote, far beyond any musical skill that we could develop like reading or writing or even improvising, because you can have a class where you're like, all right, friends, today we're going to improvise. One, two, three, go. It's a solo thing. I haven't prepped you for it. And, and it's a really poor experience for everyone. So it's not just <laughs> about the musical skills. It's about how we are approaching those musical skills. Is that, do you think like a, a, another way to say it? Absolutely. Yes. And it makes, that actually makes me think of a, a story that I was just reading in this book called the power of our words mm. and uh, by Paula Denton. And she recaps a situation where there was this student who was bullying other kids in her classroom. And most teachers would just yell at the student and say, stop bullying or don't do this, which is how we would oftentimes respond to misbehavior, but it wasn't making a difference. And instead she pulled the kid aside when there was a time to speak after class and was like, you know, I noticed this has happened. I noticed that there are some disagreements or some heated situations you have with your classmate. Would you tell me more about it? And she said the kid's body language changed and he, they reacted like, you, you want me to talk to you about my perspective? And that was like an eye-opening moment, I think, for that kid. And it was like a long process. That doesn't mean it solves everything immediately, but it opens the door to building trust. And it opens the door to the fact that the student realizes that you're there for them. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that misbehavior, quote unquote, doesn't, isn't just purposeful. It's happening because all of these other layers that students have. And when we recognize that, we, I think we can be better teachers. Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things that Responsive Classroom does um, very purposefully, it looks at behavior as like the very tip of the iceberg, or another way to think of it is like behavior is the window into something that's happening inside the student's brain, inside the student's body um, that we have no idea. And if we just take our perspective of this kid is willfully, intentionally trying to bring the class down, et cetera, et cetera, um, that, that brings the whole vibe of the class down. And that's when we end up um, kind of nagging students and spending our time, um, you know, calling kids out and everything like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things, though, Matthew, that I think uh, is so hard with this, though, is um, are you saying that in the responsive classroom approach, if a kid is um, like, let's call it bullying, even though that could mean a myriad of different things. But let's say that students are doing their social interaction, their group work, um, and they're being creative. And I have one kid who is like using their words in a really not uplifting way. Is the responsive classroom approach then to say, well, there's more going on to the story. I better not intervene. <laughs> not quite that, I would say. Uh, okay. I think it's, there's more going on in the story. Let's intervene to learn more. Yes. I think maybe so I would change that, you know, the way you phrase that question. And you probably know that. And I um 
So responding to misbehavior is important, but it's finding ways to do it that don't shame the student. And it's very easy to get into a shaming mode as teachers because it's easier. It's just easier to call the student out from across the classroom. It's you want to make a you want to make a point of the fact that that's not acceptable because any sort of behavior where students are demeaning others is absolutely unacceptable. Um, it's just trying to learn more so we as teachers can help that student work through it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel like we don't have the tools to do that. And I think responsive classroom helps us a bit with that. It encourages, you know, some private, con- it encourages like quiet conversations. It encourages clear language that doesn't change our tone mm-hmm. as teachers. Mm-hmm. So if a student's doing that, you know, is doing something I off, I always remind teachers to do this, a three-step process, which is a kind of like firm stop to a behavior. So if a student's messing around on the xylophones or is saying something rude, I will just go over them and I'll say, stop. And you wait a moment. And that's like the follow through period, Mm. which is the second step. So you have to make sure they actually stop and you have to make sure that whatever behavior is occurring pauses for a moment. Mm. And then the third step is to use like a redirect. And it might be something like we use positive language when we're talking with our classmates Mm -hmm. and making decisions or our hands are in our lap while we wait before we play the instruments. So then it's not saying like what not to do. It's saying what the student should be doing. And for the vast majority of our students, that kind of small little three-step process will be enough in the moment. Not always, not for our student, not for everyone, but it's definitely a good starting place. And I think it encourages the students to take self-control of their own behavior and doesn't, doesn't shame them too much either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like reserving the, or preserving the humanity of everyone involved in the interaction is so huge because if we, if we jump into it with the mentality of it's me versus you, it's me versus this kid, right? That sets the stage for the kid to go home and ruminate about that interaction and then come back with more energy in the next class to, um, to continue feeling like kind of misunderstood. You use the word shame. Yes. And I think it creates a a spiral that's, that's really difficult to get out of. So this three-step mm-hmm. process that you're talking about, if we can catch those small behaviors, right? Like the, the, you know, messing around on the xylophone, totally normal, totally expected of students. And we don't need to <laughs> escalate it to a 10, right? When it could be just like this very simple process. I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And then you try to have like a positive interaction later. Mm-hmm. So the students are lining up and I might walk over to the students and say, I noticed, I noticed after we spoke earlier, you you did a really great yeah. job of not just like yep. you did a great job. You did a great job of keeping your hands to yourself, working respectfully with your classmates. And that led to a, a really beautiful sharing that you did mm-hmm. with your small group or something like that. So mm-hmm. then they're, they're, they're honing in on those experiences and like, okay, because I had that self-control, it led to this great outcome. And you want students to make those connections. So then yep. Instead of ruminating on what you just said, they ruminate on, okay, I made that choice. And then I had this positive experience kind of mm-hmm. rumination instead. Yeah, you get to, it's so exciting. Um, You get to kind of rewrite the story together because it also changes the story that we tell ourselves when we go home, right? And we're talking to our partner, our spouse, you know, our dog, whoever is at home with us. <laughs> um, the story can be like, let me tell you about a time where there is 
um, like a flow in an interaction. And then it kind of blossomed into a really nice experience as opposed to, let me tell you about a time where um, a, a kid was, again, like trying to make my life difficult or something like that. We, we rewrite the story ourselves and that changes the energy that we show up to class with in the future, especially with that student. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And I love that flow that you just used because Orfshield work is all about this like beautiful river that flows and then yes. leads to this, you know, magical place. Which mm -hmm. doesn't happen every class, but sometimes when it happens, it's really wonderful. <laughs> it, yeah, that's a, a great thing to say as well, Matthew. And you've already said it, that this is a process, right? So what you've given us with those three steps, that's not like a quick fix to solve every classroom management thing. That's a strategy that we will use probably every single class, right? Um, yeah, because sure. it's normal for kids to push boundaries. Can we, can we shift gears and talk, you know, because you you make this sound so beautiful and you make this sound so simple, but <laughs> there are probably some things that we can do if we're going, if, if I want to go like zero to responsive classroom, what are some things that I can do toward the beginning of the year mm -hmm. um, to kind of set kids up for success? Because it's not all on the teacher just to not yell at kids. There are probably some, some more concrete things that we can do to, to help everyone. You know what I mean? Definitely. And when you mentioned this idea of students want to push back and like figure out their boundaries, that is especially true at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so how do we address that? Well, I think one of the most important things is simply how you start your class. And I really put so much energy into the first interaction I have with a class of students, because that's going to set the tone for the rest of the year. Um, so if my intention is that I want students to walk in quietly and they mirror me and we do some body percussion, which is generally how my classes start. And maybe there's recorded music and maybe there isn't. And then it leads to a message that the students read on the board. And then maybe they have a little think, pair, share. And then it, le it leads to a musical experience after that. Then I do that on the very first day. I don't, and I think some teachers, they have these like, mentality that the first day is a different day they come yeah. in and you, and you talk about the rules and it's like a different kind of sense but instead yeah. my first day is exactly how I want the classes to normally be because the kids are a little on edge and they're curious for what's going to happen so they're coming in a little bit tentatively we're making some body percussion we go straight to a message on the board they have a little chance to talk with one another and the message might say what do you notice in the room because it's getting them acquainted with the space. So I'm getting to build in what I want them to learn mm -hmm. um, without changing my flow of how I want every class to go. And I think that that's like one of the things I wanted to share the most yeah. is to make sure that first class is really a model for how you want the rest of the year to be. Mm -hmm. So I hope that's a, that's a good first takeaway to consider. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so just to reiterate what you're saying, you're saying, um, the first class is the setup for all the other interactions we're going to have, but even within that first class, it's the first moments of that first class, right? I would imagine that you are doing a lot of this non-verbally in terms of like the mirroring or the body percussion. I would imagine you don't have too much, um, verbal, verbal directions there. Is that true? Absolutely. And I think what's great about both Orfshul work and a responsive classroom is the clarity in language. Mm. So the students are at the door and I open the door and say, what if you could follow and do as exactly as I do? That's all I say. 
And we, they follow me for a good four or five minutes and it's just kind of figuring it out together. And there's a little bit of, a little bit of whispering for the new students or the students who already know me are like, great, we know exactly what to expect. And then I'll slowly sit down and I might say, raise your hand if you're ready to lead the message on the board. And some students will raise their hand. I'll find one student, they'll lead the message on the board. If it's a new class, I'll go over to the board and say, Mm -hmm. read the message with me. So again, it's one sentence that's used to mm-hmm. then get to the next uh, next step. The same thing after the message. The message starts a question in, what do you notice in the room? And then I'll say, turn to a shoulder partner or trio mm-hmm. and share what you notice about the room. Um, and then it's the same thing. And sometimes in the first class, I'll wait till the kind of discussion dies down because it's the first day. Yeah. Um, but sometimes if you want to be really clear, I might change that sentence a bit and say, turn to a shoulder partner or trio and share what you notice about the room. When you hear the chime, mm-hmm. finish your sentence and turn back to me. Yeah. So I'm making it, I'm, I'm setting it up for success in clear sentences. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for teachers to just like talk for a really long time and explain things when really that's all that was needed. Yeah. Absolutely. Two things that really stick out to me about that. Um, number one, you did not have a procedure of, okay, music friends, when you, here's our, here's our first rule. When you hear this chime, you need to be quiet. Let's all practice that together. Here's the chime. The chime signal is just embedded in the other piece that's really important to you, which is that social interaction, right? So it's not like these things are not siloed separately. And I think sometimes for the sake of clarity, uh, my hands right up there with everybody else, but sometimes for the sake of clarity, I think we want to silo like, here are the rules about this. Now, here are the rules about this. And there are consequences for this. Um, But you are just interweaving it into the procedure itself. And it changes the tone so much. Mm, That's a really powerful notice, Victoria. And I think that doesn't mean that you don't practice those things. Yes. Because maybe you play the chime and a couple of weeks later, it doesn't work so well. And then you just say, I noticed that we were still talking after the chime. Let's practice that again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you just go straight into doing that. Mm -hmm. But the language you're using doesn't feel so negative, right? I'm trying to stay steer away from, you are so noisy still, and that's not okay. And Uh so using it with I notice kind of sentence starters or things like that can be Mm -hmm. powerful too. Well, that was the second thing that I wanted to come, like that I wanted to pull from your response there. Um, one One of my favorite phrases for classroom management is, you're not in trouble, let's try again. And that kind of just like, again, like this us versus them mentality, if it's me versus the students, the students are going to feel that, right? If I, if I start with the um, expectation that everybody's in trouble and the teacher is mad, the class will follow suit, right? Because I set the tone mm-hmm. as the adult in the room. I am in charge of the emotional tone that I bring to the classroom. And one of the things that I know you are so particular on is how you phrase things. And one of your, um, one of the things I noticed about you teaching, and I've heard you say this as well, um, is starting things with, I wonder, and what if, or, or like the, because you're teaching students, like how to, my favorite phrases. Yes. You're teaching students, like how to imagine it on their own. And I'm sure that in your creative process, like when you introduce a piece, students are already hearing the new piece that you introduce and they're going, I wonder, what if, I wonder, what if, right? And so with all of this, all of that to say, Matthew, um, I see that what you're doing at the beginning of the first beginning of class is setting the stage for how you want students to think 
how you want them to talk to each other, how you want them to um, move around the room, how they want to focus, how you want them to focus their attention. Like you, you're packing so much in these first moments, but it feels so effortless. And it doesn't, won't feel effortless at first. I'll, I'll start by saying that. It will feel somewhat uncomfortable if you're changing mm-hmm. your teacher language and feel a little awkward, which is hard for teachers sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I encourage you to push through it and you'll start to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes sentence starters can be really helpful. You have mm-hmm. like a little cheat sheet of like a few things you really want to say, like, I wonder, what if, I notice, let's practice. Yeah. Just so like you can glance at it if you're like, oh, what do I say exactly here? Yeah. That can be helpful. Um, and the other thing I really want to share is that the sometimes teachers forget that we are the most, some of the most important role models that students have. Yeah. And every interaction with every teacher language we use, that's going to impact the language that our students use. Mm. And the most exciting thing is when you use a wonder or what if, and then you notice in a small group, like a couple of weeks later, the yeah. students are using that language, yeah. you know? So, and I remember near the end of the year, I was teaching a xylophone piece to some of my like third graders, I think. And the students started like, just calling out like, well, what if we try, what if we tried it in a different mode? Or what if we tried it with, di- can we try a different rhythm? Or can we try this? Mm-hmm. And it was like, yes, that's like the most amazing point when they're like using your language to be creative thinkers because you started placing all those wonders and what ifs or the same thing of like providing feedback. So I'm Mm. providing feedback that's clear. And then when a student's in a small group, they're giving those like same responses and interactions. Um, And I think that that is like the, it's the most exciting moment, but it can also go really wrong if you're, (laughs) if you're not using great language. Then yeah. they're going to role model your other kinds of language. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can say like something once and you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And you know, that's what they like grab onto. So you have to be cautious at all times, like the kind yeah. of what language you're using. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, goodness gracious. And probably Matthew, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So you take what I'm about to say and you change it um, into (laughs) into what you want to say, right? But probably Mm -hmm. um, just knowing you and knowing uh, your heart for teachers and knowing um, how experienced you are in this field, you probably would um, continue that like no shame philosophy to teachers who have lost it on their kids, who have snapped back at a student. And, and again, I'm going to put my hand up, right? Like (laughs) I don't know a single, I don't know a single adult who is around other humans, whether those be children, adults, anywhere in between. I don't know anyone who has not at some point been kind of overwhelmed in their body with, with a feeling of frustration or, um, or anger or impatience. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so as a teacher is listening and Matthew saying like, well, our language is really important. Probably some people are being like, oh no, that is not good <laughs> news for me. So, so what would you say? Um, what would you oh say to, to those, to those teachers? Uh, we are imperfect people and I am equal and can raise my hand and say, we've all said things in the classroom that maybe we wish we hadn't have said in the moment. Mm-hmm. And if we can just say this coming school year, I did that a little less than last year, then that's, that's something you should be proud of. Mm. Right. And it's things like that. It's even things like meditation and responsive classroom talks about that. It's like you're, and I've done a lot of research on nonverbal 
communication, as you know, and 93% of how students learn things comes from our body and tone and Mm -hmm. eyes and facial expressions and not our words. So Mm -hmm. yes, language matters, but like, it's also more important to think about, okay, when I say this, is my body relaxed? And so does that mean when a student says something that maybe you like take a deep breath inside yourself and you just think about a meadow or you think about the beach (laughs) yeah, and then you go into what you want to say? That's really hard to do. But I think of it in like this. These are little people. They Mm. are these young little minds that are just beginning to grow. And when I go back to that, then I'm like, you know this person is six years old. Of course they don't have control over their bodies right now. That's expect like, what did did I really expect them to sit quietly like that for 30 minutes? Uh Okay. I need to, I need to, you know, remind myself of that and put a smile on my face and be okay with that moment, even when it feels really, really frustrating. And it's not to say that you, you can't get stern and firm Mm -hmm. with students when they're being unsafe. Yeah. Or when they're making choices that start to harm other students. But we also want to keep in mind that they are, they're much younger than us. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's not fair for us to expect, um, gosh, there's so much I could say about that, Matthew. I'm going to, I'm going to shorten what I, what I have to say. Cause this is like a whole, a whole podcast on its own is like, what, what do we expect from a child and what do we expect from ourselves? There's a big, there needs to be a big gap between those things. Some of us are adults. Some of us are kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going back to what you said about when a student shows a behavior that we would consider to be not ideal. What we do is we, we come in after that behavior at like the end of class, you said, and we help the kid rewrite the story so that it's not I'm a terrible student. I'm um, like, I'm a bad kid. It is like, I'm a kid who's learning a new skill of whatever impulse control thing. And, and the relationship between you and the kid is not harmed by that interaction. You're setting it up so that you can continue to learn and grow together instead of, again, this, this us versus them mentality. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of extending that to the, the conversations that we have in our heads as teachers on the way home when we have a classroom behavior that we are not proud of and how can we be like that teacher to ourselves that says, Hey, I noticed this about your behavior. Was there anything else going on there? We kind of become that voice to ourselves. The more we practice doing it to students. Definitely. And I think sometimes we realize that it may not be that exact student, which is why we are reacting like that. We might've had a hard day, like, and we're, we had something really tra- traumatic that happened the day before in our own personal mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And that impacts who we are as teachers. When we think about the social, like how we interact with one another, it's the same yep. thing for us as adults. Yeah, And it can be hard to like compartmentalize that. Mm-hmm. But I think just being aware of that, like, you know, I'm not in a great mood today. What can I do to be there for my students for this time that I'm with them? And maybe yes. it means I changed my lesson and I'm spontaneous. And I'm like, you know, this this lesson is going to be too much for my own capacity. So instead I'm going to do this, you know, stone passing game because that's going to be fun and it's going to be a little more lighthearted and the students are still going to have a great time. And I'm also going to have a great time. And I think a lot of what, what you talk about a lot and what other teachers talk about is like maintaining our own self-preservation of like (laughs) making sure we can make it through this life and be good teachers, but also like, be taking care of ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I think that's like something to think about too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know, um, Matthew, I could hang out on this topic um, and ask you all sorts of questions about about this kind of avenue of what we're talking about. So let me let me move us back. So right. you've talked. Yes, I know. I know. There's so much. Um, you've talked us through this really beautiful opening routine. I have one mm-hmm. tiny question about that that I'm going to skip over and we can come back if we have time. Sure. After this opening routine, we're in the classroom, we're seated, we're in a circle. On the first day, where might we think about going after that? I think in connection with the shul work, it's a great place to start with just body percussion and song. So we're not we're not stressed about instruments yet, but we are just going to get into this making of music. What kind of music can we make right away? Um, so we've had a morning message and oftentimes my morning message will lead to a museum walk. So mm-hmm. students can walk around the room, see what they notice, kind of come back and share some things. And sometimes we might do a, around the circle notices and questions. So it kind of depends on the class, but I think you yeah. can do something where the students go around and they can each share something they noticed about the room that they're excited about, which is a little bit like a hope and a dream. Yeah. And hopes and dreams is a great way to start the school year, but how do we do it in the music room? Well, they can just go around the room and share something that they're excited to play or something that they notice that they want to learn more about. That's a quick hopes and dreams thing. You can take a few notes as a teacher. You can just make some mental notes. Um, And then after that kind of like social experience, we might just go straight into some body percussion and that could be seated or standing up. And then it might lead to a speech piece or a simple song or a call and response kind of Mm -hmm. piece. And then there's probably not much left to do when your class is up. I would say if you have time, you can do a kind of creative interaction with a partner. Mm. And and that's when students turn to a partner. So like, let's say you're learning um, a speech piece. And then there's a B section where they can make their own body percussion. So, um, you know, one could be, I often pair Gilly, 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 Good Morning and Mini Mac, Mini Mac, Mini, Mini, Mini Mac. In the A section, we have a set body percussion. B section, they get to create, start creating their own body percussion with a partner. Mm -hmm. And it's like little choices. And I think the most important thing about the first day of, of music is that you're setting them up for success by asking small steps of them. Yeah. So you might say, pick one place of body percussion to connect with your partner. So it might be just this mini Mac, mini Mac, mini, mini, mini Mac, mini Mac, mini Mac, mini Mo, mini Mac, or it might be this mini Mac, mini Mac, mini Mac, or it might be this mini Mac, mini Mac, mini, mini, mini Mac. And then you say, well, what if you could pick two? So it might look like this mini Mac, mini Mac, mini, mini, mini Mac. So it's just like a teeny tiny steps for building success. But at the same time, you've had social interactions, you've had imitation, you've had exploration, you've even had creation now. So you've done a lot of things in that first class, um, but you've done it in a way that set them up for success. Um, And I think that that's, that's really important, but you haven't pushed them too far either, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the the nice things about you and your teaching and your campus and just like the longevity that you've had so far in this career is when you give your students that invitation, let's imagine that you're doing that with, oh, I don't know, maybe third grade. They've had you since probably kindergarten at this point, right? And certainly, yes. And so certainly those kindergarten, first grade years for those students were very different than what we're doing this year. Um, You know, Lord willing, everyone's fingers crossed. So what would you what would you say if um, this is students' first interaction with 
the Schulwerk or if this is a, a teacher who is into active music making, but maybe not the Schulwerk approach. Like you've talked about making small pieces, not to put you on the spot, but there are there any other small pieces that people can do if maybe they have not been using a lot of body percussion or even perhaps, Matthew, like a lot of creative invitations? Sure. I think the biggest advice is to have it be a little more teacher guided as opposed to student centered. So you want to always move towards student centered from teacher yep. guided, but yep. the difference might be instead of turning toward a partner, you're just going to make a group, you're gonna make a class body percussion piece. Right. So you might say, okay, we have the choices of patting, clapping, snapping, tapping mm -hmm. our nose, tapping our mm -hmm. head, tapping our shoulders. Which one should we do? And then the class picks one. Okay. And then, okay, we can add another one. Which one should we add next? Who has an idea? Mm -hmm. So you're beginning this idea of creation, but really it's very teacher guided. Yeah. And don't worry about having the students create their own things yet. Mm -hmm. And that will be something that you can start to move toward in the first like nine weeks or so of, the, of the learning. Okay, so you are saying that even if my first creative invitation is not, um, all right, our morning, after our morning message, we're going to split into groups of three and everybody creates a rondo form on instruments and then we share out, right? It's probably not going to be that. It's going to be something that's yeah. still creative, but more teacher guided. Is that right? Yeah. When we do eventually get toward this place where we want to create in small groups with our students, I think teachers often just like set them free. Yes. With, with very few limitations, which is too challenging, <laughs> way too yeah. challenging. Yep. And the other thing I always think about is we students have most success in being in groups, um, the size of their grade level plus one. Uh -huh. So if you're in first grade, you can work with one other person. If you're in second grade, you can maybe be in a trio, mm -hmm. but that is, that's the max. Do yeah. not expect second graders to get in a quartet and be successful. They will not. Right. So, and it just feels so natural to say, okay, now get in groups of four. Right. Not with our seven-year-olds. They will not be ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or what I've done before, which is just get in a group. And then I say, why are we not making any progress on this project? Why is my class full of fighting second graders? And it's like, Victoria, you did not give them enough parameters, right? So I think um, when you hear about uh, you know, like Matthew, when I listen to you talk and you're like, you know, students are creative and let kids be their own composer. And I'm like, okay, great. Here's rhythm sticks. Everybody go. <laughs> right. And you're like, no, let's bring it in, bring it in. And so that's, that's very, that's very helpful. One. Um, and then you, and then the, the teacher afterwards goes, I wonder why that didn't go so well. <laughs> and then we're going to yell at the students, right? Like you guys are acting wild and crazy. You guys are like, no one taught you how to behave. Your mama didn't raise you right. Whatever, whatever it is that we want to jump to. And actually one of the, the most challenging things to do again, in our car talk on the way home is be like, what procedures were missing at the beginning, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think that's, what, what you're sharing today, Matthew, is so valuable. Um, and we can extend it probably beyond the first day. You've given us such a beautiful um, kind of sequence of things to think about on the first day. Is there anything else that you want to say about the first day? Or can we kind of dabble quickly into how this might expand in the second class or the third class or, or whatever it is? I think the last thing to think about on the first day is just having a clear ending for a class. Mm. So that might mean you have like a really brief reflection, another thing pair share, or it might just be a reminder on how we line up. And that could be enough too. And you might say, 
when we leave the music room, we line up, we walk to the door with our hands by our sides and our voices stay off so we can reflect on the successes we had today. Something like that. And then yep. you tap each student or a student taps everyone. It tends to be how I do it with like mm. a different stuffed animal they get to pick, which is always very exciting. Oh, cute. Um, and it's just simple. And that way you have a really beautiful end mm. and as opposed to just letting it run a little bit of muck. You just have a, you want to have your clear process for the end of the class too. Uh-huh. And you do it the same way every time. And students love the idea of they know what to expect. So mm. if they know what to expect when they come into the music room and how they leave the music room, they can focus their energy on the learning that happens mm-hmm. in the middle of the class, mm-hmm. as opposed to they're not sure what to get when you come in. So their sense of sense of risk is a little yes. heightened. Like they're just a little more on edge. And I think sometimes we forget about that. So that's why I always have the same entrance and exit procedures from the first day until the last day of school. Oh, that is so valuable. Yes. I would imagine that you are adjusting that closing meeting or that that closing time by grade level. Do you want to give us a sense of how we might think of making some of those changes? Or do you have the same one K-5? It's definitely a little different. So for the youngest students, I'll line them up, especially at the beginning of the year, and we move toward having them be able to line each other up. Ooh, that's and- the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> because that can be that can be a lot and mm-hmm. for our youngest our youngest friends. <laughs> um, and the space between having each of them line up is a little longer. So you need to have yeah. more time. It just takes them longer to line up. Yep. And I will usually give the reflection. Like I noticed we had, we had success today because we did this yeah. as opposed to maybe giving a moment uh, for silent reflection for our older students. Mm. Take a moment to think to yourself, something successful and something you want to work on for next time. The students can think of the fourth graders can think of that on their own. Um, and then they can often, they can line up on their own right away. They don't, yeah. they don't need as much guidance from me. And I try to move toward by the end of the year, just having them all line up without any sort of tapping. Mm. Like, let's see if we can all line up while thinking about our reflections silently to ourselves. And sometimes that means let's go back and practice <laughs> afterward. Yeah. But I try to get them kind of prepared for middle school because that's what's going to happen when they leave me. So that's, that's something to kind of think point. about too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and same thing, like if you say, all right, please line up quietly. The chances of kids lining up quietly is very, very low. Right. (laughs) And then we can say again, it's because students are willfully misbehaving, or it might be because we have not had a consistent lining up routine from the day, the first day of school. And now it's the beginning of May. Right. And we're still not lining up quietly. Right. And then again, like the the invitation to us and I want to raise my hand with everyone else. um, The invitation to us is to think, what scaffolds could I put in place so that students know my expectation and they've been set up to succeed instead of set up to flop by me just saying, go line up quietly, (laughs) you know? Most definitely. And that makes me think of reminding language because there's three types of responsive classroom language, reinforcing, reminding, redirecting. Mm -hmm. I talked about the redirect already. Reminding is the kind of language of who remembers how we line up. And so then students will share. And it's not me saying, okay, here are the rules for lining up. Instead, who remembers how we line up? Someone says, oh, well, we keep our hands to ourselves. Oh, well, we keep our voices at a whisper. Maybe that's the Mm -hmm. expectation you've set. Oh, we try to reflect on a success we had today. So then the students are popcorning out the reminders for themselves yep. as opposed to you as a teacher saying them or you just saying like do it quietly but you didn't really go into enough of the detail and set yeah. the stage for it to be successful 
That's huge. That's huge. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole world of, um, of peace as a teacher in what you just said. Like, I don't have to be the one telling every single student, every single thing to do, right? Like let's, let's have higher expectations of our students because they are capable of performing at, at the level that we are requesting of them. If, if we can be, um, kind of that helpful teacher guide to kind of scaffold them there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Definitely. Great. Um, anything else as we're wrapping up here, if we think about how we might expand this in the next weeks of school, what are your thoughts on maybe some, some next steps from this? Yeah. Next steps. I think the biggest goal is to move from teacher guided to student led, you know, student centered, student led. So what are the small steps in your process you can do that give students more autonomy? and more authority in your classroom. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the older kids eventually get to lead the line into the room, which is what I do near the end, which is what I do. So the students can lead it. And there will be some challenges when you do that. So be prepared. Yeah. And, and I have students lead the message and students start to do more partner and small group experiences. So I always think of that as like the biggest social goal, right? Mm. And when we talk about the social curriculum is as important as the academic curriculum, I'm really thinking about where can students have more leadership opportunities in the space they don't currently have. So I think that's the biggest goal for what you yeah. can accomplish of the first six weeks is moving toward that as in small steps. Mm -hmm. And the other is just making sure that each and every time that you, that they come to your classroom, you're making music and having yeah. fun. And I tell myself, okay, did we sing? Yes. Did we do speech? Yes. Did we dance? Yes. Did we do something playful? Yes. But if you're telling yourself, gosh, I only did one of those. I only did one of those again. I only did one of those again. Mm -hmm. Then it probably means that you want to reflect a little bit on, is there too much teacher talk? Yeah. It, is there, what's limiting the student experiences mm. and making sure you're just giving them a wide variety of opportunities in your space. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's so, so beautiful. Okay. Matthew, help me, um, wrap this up by thinking about, I know you've talked about it and we've talked around it, but give me um, a list of procedures that I might want to have in place or that I might want to, to start working with students on in these first weeks, just to make everything. Cause what you've talked about, Matthew is again, it's just so beautiful. And in my mind, everything flows and it clicks into place, but I know that I'm going to sit down and be like, <laughs> okay, now hang on now, wait a minute. What now? Right. So, so help me with kind of a list of things, not that every procedure has to be the same way that Matthew does. Right. But, but kind of generally speaking, what are procedures that we need to have at the forefront of our mind as we go forth into the beginning of the year? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, entrance. So you have a plan for how students enter your space mm -hmm. and you're consistent with that. Mm -hmm. The gathering kind of space, gathering what's come next. So you want to tell yourself, okay, am I going to do a morning message, which is what I do every time, or something different that's consistent, like a welcome song yeah. or a, a question that's on the board, whatever it might be. So that's the next procedure you want to have in place. And then as you start expanding things, you want to have clear processes for moving to the instruments. Um, picking up instruments, all of those little things that are then going to happen next and do it in the framework of responsive classroom language that mm. then encourages students to create their own rules. Mm. So I might be modeling how to pick up the hand drum and put it back down on the floor 
and say, what do you notice? And the students will say, I noticed you held it here. I noticed you didn't use your voice. I noticed you didn't play it. I noticed, and then they're creating the rules yeah. for the space. So yeah. you wanna have little processes for that. And then that's kind of like interactive modeling, which is another yeah. aspect of responsive classrooms. So you're thinking about how you're modeling it. Um, you're creating sentence starters for yourself as a teacher. So you always have language to go back on mm. and you have a clear exit routine as well. So I think that covers a lot of responsive classroom, entering yeah. procedures, interactive modeling, teacher language, and how yeah. you're going to respond to student behaviors. Um, and then exit, exit routines as well. Yes. Is that kind of what you were looking for? I hope. Oh gosh. Yes. That's, that is Fabulous. That's above and beyond anything that um, that I could hope for. Beautiful. Excellent. Um, Matthew, as we uh, hear this conversation and we're all like so interested in learning more about uh, you and your work and Orf Schulwerk and the responsive classroom, um, where can we find, where can we hang out with you? <laughs> I love to hang out with people. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, well, I do have an Instagram uh, Mr. S. Orf. And then I also have a Patreon page. And on my Patreon page, I am I post different lessons weekly. And then I also host Zooms where teachers can connect with me and ask me questions. I have a Discord group that's mm. also part of the Patreon page where people will just like pop on with questions and things like that. I'm actually really excited this summer because I'm doing like a, a not a book study, but like a, a book talk. So I'm mm. reading the, I've read this book before, but I'm reading The Power of Our Words by Paula Denton. And then I'm giving like a five minute synopsis of each chapter on my Patreon page. So then my, all of my fellow friends don't have to read the book. They can just come listen to these quick little recaps mm -hmm. and have some good takeaways for the, for the upcoming school year, which I think much like this conversation will hopefully be like a really grounded kind of way mm. to feel comfortable jumping in to the year. And then the other thing I'm going to say is that I also have this book, Responsive yes. Classroom for Music RPE and other special areas that mm -hmm. I helped, I helped, I helped uh, contribute to, and it, it's a great resource. So if you enjoyed some of the things we talked about today, that book might be for you and it might make you feel again, more grounded yes. and prepared for the first day of school. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And I told, I, I told you before we started um, that I told my, uh, my new school director that I was interviewing you. And I said, like, I pointed to the book and I was like, he was on the team that was, that, that contributed to this book. And she was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. And I was like, I know he is a celebrity and I'm going to get everything that, oh, that gosh. I'll need for this year from him. So <laughs> you are too, first of all, you were way too kind and, and you, but I, but thank you. And I do think it's, it's a good resource and there. There are things in it that are actually authentic to music teaching, which can be mm. hard to find in some of these books. Yes. So that's what's really great about it is I actually helped write some of those sections as opposed to some non-music teacher who then tries to make this story that just doesn't make sense. So it is really helpful in that way. Yes. And when I think about that, what you just said, like with my ORF hat on, I'm like, oh gosh, how amazing that the person they found to help contribute to this is someone with the Schulwerk philosophy, right? Because what a beautiful pairing, don't you think? Definitely. And that's what's made Responsive Classroom really so even intuitive to me yeah, as, a, yeah. as a teacher is that it feels like the Orff Schulwerk. And so if you're an Orff Schulwerk teacher or you really like responsive classroom, and maybe you're not an Orff Schulwerk teacher, I would really suggest trying to learn a little bit more about how the two pair because mm -hmm. they really value social curriculum. They really value spontaneity, but they also value like the really uh, power of process 
yes. like how each small step leads to something magical. And that's, that's changed my teaching um, forever. So, and I think it's impacted students' lives then forever. And so if you want to learn more about one or the other, you absolutely should. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You said that's changed your approach as a teacher. It's changing your students. And I want to extend that, that it's changing other teachers and it has a ripple effect hmm. on all of us. So thank you so much for the work you do in this space. Thank you for how you um, show up for yourself and your students and for the rest of us. And, and thanks for having me here. And I can say the same about you, Victoria, because I know lots of teachers are learning so much from you and your book and all of the amazing things that you've been up to. So it's been great to chat with you. Mm-hmm.